the reading of the scriptures, um, Psalm 112. I invite your uh, reverent hearing of God's word in Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Most all of us have uh, heard the uh, old saw that if it sounds too good to be true, probably is. And so, we are warned uh, to be very careful about get-rich schemes in life. People always making promises that they uh, cannot deliver on. Uh, More often than not, it occurs in the financial world. Uh, Someone promises to give you annual returns, let's say, of 20% a year. I mean, you should know that that's impossible, but sometimes we get seduced and... uh, It's a get-rich scheme, and we fall for it. Typically, uh, those uh, those fail. Remember the tragic story of Bernie Madoff? He promised high returns. He gave people documentation in their monthly statements, but it was all a Ponzi scheme. He took their money and fleeced them. But this morning, I want to do something the opposite. I want to give you a get-rich scheme. It comes from God, who does not fleece his people. He enriches them, rewards them. All of his promises come true. It is a path to great riches. And the psalmist is going to tell us about that path, how we come uh, to know uh, this God and the end that this God has for us in our daily living. Psalm 112, like the previous psalm, is an acrostic literary device to perhaps help in memorizing the psalm, but certainly perhaps a device of worship. There is no superscription by which the author is unknown to us. We do not know who wrote this psalm. I speculate it's the same author as Psalm 111 that, if you recall from last week, uh, deals with the blessings of God for the man who goes to church. 
engages in public worship. It unites with the people of God on public occasion for corporate worship. And in that worship, he is going to be taught the scriptures. He's going to learn about God. Uh, this psalm is a shift to the individual. The man who's gone to corporate worship, who worships God, who learns about God, and then who leaves. And having learned about God, he practices the things that he learned. That's the path to wealth and riches. This is what uh, the worshiper looks like in the community, outside the assembly. He's gone home. He's gone back to work, back to his family, on holiday. And this is what he looks like. Psalm 112. Like the previous uh, psalm, there's a summons, summons to praise God. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. It's not unlike the ending of Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all those who do his commandments. And so this man fears the Lord, and we know he fears the Lord because he does the commandments of God. So what does God say of this man? This man is successful. It's a sense of the blessings of God. Successful in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. And in the end, the eyes of God are the only thing that really matter. Because he controls eternity. He controls the end and everything respecting the beginning. So God says of this, this individual, having left church, uh, I favor this man because he's doing what he learned in church. He worshiped me in the assembly and now he worships me uh, as a citizen uh, in, in life. Uh, and this man, uh, the psalmist tells us, verse 1, Psalm 112, greatly delights in the commandments of God. He has pleasure in the word of God. It's not unlike the uh, psalm that uh, began our call to worship uh, this morning. The introduction to the entire Psalter, Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So in corporate worship, he hears the word, then he goes into his daily affairs as an individual. He leaves the assembly, but as the individual, now he begins to delight and meditate on the word of God. Take the word to heart. Perhaps make application of the word that he was taught, but certainly to practice it as an expression of the man that God favors. He fears the Lord. And of course, the point of the text, I think, is that success is linked to reverence in the Word of God. The man who has pleasure in the Word of God, delights in it. Expressed, of course, we must imagine in obedience, 
because that's what true worshipers do when they leave the corporate assembly. So how is this man blessed? I mean, what's the get-rich scheme of the man who delights in the Word? Uh, the man who learns that Word in the assembly who now goes to live it. Well, in verses 2 to 5, the blessings include uh, the familiar, the material, and of course the spiritual. So it's going to affect his family. It's going to affect his material well-being. It's going to, of course, affect his spiritual life. In that sense, the blessings of God, if you will, this get-rich scheme, are very far-reaching. First, they embrace a generational effect. Verse 2, Psalm 112. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The word mighty, as you might suspect, is oftentimes associated with the warrior, a mighty warrior. I might remind you that, that Christ is a mighty warrior. He defeats all of his enemies. It's one of the reasons we're blessed, because he defeats our every foe, everyone that attempts to oppose us, particularly the spiritual forces in the kingdom of evil. He defeats so that we can come to him have pleasure in the house of God and have pleasure in His Word when we leave that house. Had He not defeated those forces as a mighty warrior, we would still be enslaved. So certainly there is a profound message of the great blessings of God that come from knowing the mighty warrior who is the King Messiah, our Savior Jesus Christ. But the word uh, mighty can also reference uh, stature, wisdom, and influence. And so, uh, this man is mighty in the sense of his influence, his stature in the community, with his family, his influence, and perhaps people, as he lives out his life. The parallel is uh, the generation... Verse 2 again, uh, of the upright will be blessed. That his generations are uh, made upright in the sense that they're, they're made straight. Kind of the literal meaning of that word, upright. That, that which is crooked is, is made straight. Marvelous way of the man who practices the Word of God that he learned in the assembly. It has a way of taking that which is crooked in his own life and making it straight and then influencing others. It is a good reminder of the Gospel that God begins to influence the whole man. Begins to put a life that's broken and shattered back together. Uh, I remember one time in my home, I shattered some piece of, of, uh, China. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble now. How can I hide this? 
I mean, how, how do you take something that's totally shattered and put it back together? Well, I take the, the broom and, you know, whisk it up and put it in a bag and say, oh, woe is me. So I go, I go on the computer and I say, well, who, who can fix things? And this, by the way, this guy pops up not very far from here and I took this plate over to him and he said, I oh, don't worry about it. I'll put it back in. I thought, oh, great. Another get rich scheme. Man who promises, but he doesn't deliver. But I got to talking to him and, uh, it's very interesting. We had a, we had a common, uh, a common uh, reference point in terms of a man who owned a bunch of artwork, incredible artwork. I went down to see it one day in downtown Oklahoma City, some warehouse that really kind of surprised me. I thought it should, you know, be somewhere where people could go and see and, uh, be moved in awe. He said, you know, I was going through my father-in-law's artwork and, uh, I broke something, shattered it. Like you, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> so I took it home and I began to put it together. And it became a career for him. It's incredible. How do you, how do you take something that some measures in powder and shards and splinters, some big, some small, and you put it back together? So you can't even see the glue lines or however he did it. Well, that's what Jesus does to our lives. We learn about it in the assembly. The sphere of living as an individual, God over time and in degree, begins to take the crooked and make it straight. Begins to take the broken pieces and fuse them back together. I would remind you that we live in a profoundly broken world. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, the mighty warrior, it'll only get worse. But for the man who responds to the word of God, he leaves the assembly. And in the great mysterious work of the great spirit of the living God, the pieces begin to come together. The process, he becomes whole. And God blesses him in that wholeness. And we know from our text that um, begins to influence other people. In the case of this man, there's a generational effect. His friends, perhaps his only family, family members, uh, learn about that uprightness, the one who made them whole, uh, who made this man straight, and they want to be straight and whole as well. So there's a effect that's across generations. It's a profound promise of God. Uh, who makes it so? Because the word of God makes people whole. And they share that. Like this man shared with me, I broke a plate, you broke a plate, here's the plate I broke, I'll fix yours as well. I was deeply moved. Because he, he was true to his word. A number of years ago I was in Germany. I saw a, uh, a map of, of the Second Reich. Was damaged in the margins. But, oh, great! I'm going to buy this map, and what do I do with a damaged map? I called this guy down the street. 
Can you fix this map? He said, I can fix it. Christ fixes lives. Removes the stain and pollution of sin. And there is a generational effect that I think overwashes our children and perhaps our grandchildren over time. I know some of you, uh, because uh, I have spoken with you, you got trouble with my sons and daughters, and I, I pray for them because I have sons as well. And I, I know what it is to come to a time in your life where you're on the sidelines. But you can still pray. Because God still fixes. Because that's a business he's in. To take what is broken to make things straight. And who knows, we pray. We may never see those prayers answered in our lives. But God may answer them when we're long gone. Because of the power of the generational effect and the influence of the change that he's had in our lives. And the word that we share, because it's the word that we learn in the assembly, that God makes straight that which is broken, crooked, and shattered, seemingly beyond repair, but not so with God. Second, there is, there is a measure of material wealth. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house. I believe the two words, wealth and riches, are really to be compressed into one. Just simply material abundance. And the promise embraces the sufficiency of God. Uh, The godly man has enough. Our Lord tells his disciples this. Uh, I, I know that you need uh, raiment, you need clothes, uh, you need to have food, and yeah, you need to have uh, drink. And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added to you. Certainly it's a lesson of priority. Pursue the majesty of the kingdom of God that you learn about in church, in the assembly. You go home and you begin to seek it in your individual life. And God, in the mysteries of his working, does things. Maybe it's a raise, maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's the return on some investment. I just know that God works. And I know that the psalmist tells us, I've been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous begging bread. Blessings of God, caring for his own. It's a word that we're minded of in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix uh, their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with things to enjoy. It's the abundance of God. It's good to his people. And that righteousness of that man 
The psalmist says again in verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. He has an enduring reputation. People learn about him in some way and know that he's followed a successful path and uh, he has told them that God has uh, blessed him. And that's what he owes the blessings of his life to, his success in every way. And to be right before God and before men is a profound element of wealth. We learned this weekend, if you went to the lecture series that we uh, sponsored, certainly Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God. I think that's the beginning of all riches, to be right before God. That God is no longer making war against you. The peace treaty he has signed. He signed it, and he puts it into effect. And the benefits begin to accrue to us over and over and over again and all that it means to be in union with his son. And the blessings are multifaceted. I don't know how they come. I know only that they do. And then we do become right before men in a reputational sense. It's a reminder, I think, of of uh, the text again that we began our worship service with uh, this morning. Uh, Psalm 1, verse 3. She'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf will not wither and he will bear fruit in season. Whatever he does, he prospers. That's a get-rich scheme based upon the Word of God. The man who delights in the Word, who obeys it, who keeps it, preserves it, who meditates upon it. The Word changes his life. It's a tree that will stand the storms, bear fruit, in season and out of season, as an expression of the life of a man who follows, who obeys, who loves, who takes delight in the Word of God. Thirdly, of course, as you might well imagine, verses 4 to 5, there are spiritual blessings. Generational blessings, material blessings, but also spiritual blessings. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. Light, of course, as you know, is a metaphor for salvation. It is a reminder that we live in a profoundly dark world. It seems to be getting darker with each patching day. How do you navigate darkness? You have to have light. The Word of God is light to our path. We walk in a dark world. And sometimes we're not even exempted from the influence of it. But God gives us light by his presence and his word. Something of the majesty of the entire 
119th Psalm. The majestic importance of the Word of God. I trust you're taught it in church. But the point, you want to be rich, go to the Word. It'll change your life. It'll bring broken pieces back into orbit. It will have a generational influence of others around you. I think there are going to be material blessings because you learn about the man of the word who engages and who becomes a perhaps a better employee or a better supervisor or boss. And things happen to him based on the word of God. And the word shows us that way. And the parallel to the light is God's graciousness, compassion, and righteousness. That God is all of these things to us. The attributes of God that we learn about in the Word. And I will tell you my own personal experience. You want to be rich, learn about the attributes of God. His majesty, His power, His sovereignty, his compassion, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness to his people. If anything should enrich our life is that God is faithful to us every time and all the time. He cannot be faithless to his people. And that we are his sons and daughters by grace in Jesus Christ. I love the text of 1 Thessalonians 5. Faithful as he calls you. He will bring it to pass. That faithfulness and God go together. There's a list here, a partial list of the great attributes of God. And those attributes envelop the man of faith and enrich his life. In a life-changing way. That even when things go against us and turn wrong, and maybe we lose the job or we lose the promotion, we know above all things that our God is sovereign in control. That nothing is by chance. There are no mistakes in God's ordering of the universe. And while they may appear to be so to us, God is able to reverse and change. He can redirect anything that touches our lives and turn a curse into a blessing. Because we are His sons through Jesus Christ. And the attributes of the Father, Son, and the Spirit break upon us and inform our daily living. Reminded of Psalm 23, the end of the psalm, that that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. We know from the psalm that the attributes of God are in front of the psalmist, and now we learn they're behind him. The attributes of God are his vanguard and rear guard. They're in front of him and behind him and therefore encompassing all in between. And we learn about those attributes in church and we learn about them in the scriptures and they are a profound, enriching blessing to our spiritual lives. So that this man uh, images God, the corresponding influence of the divine presence of the man of faith 
causes him to be a generous uh, and kind. Verse 5, uh, so that he lends. Uh, and he will maintain his cause in judgment. Uh, he will maintain uh, those blessings uh, throughout his life. It's a reminder of a great spiritual saw that we become like the God that we serve, like the God that we revere. As God was generous to us, we become generous to others. His generosity prompts ours. One of the reasons we study the majesty of the attributes of God because we learn how generous he was to us when we deserved nothing. He was generous to us, gave us new life and the blessings of his spirit. And it does, I think, teach us to be generous to others. And that generosity is a reminder of the individual that he learned God aright in the public assembly. The blessings seem to indicate that all will go well for the God-fear, but that's not the way life breaks out. Uh, we know in verses 6 to 10 that the blessings of God include security in bad times and from bad men. That the Christian, like all men, will face difficult times and difficult men. We live in a fallen, depraved world, and we're not immune from the danger that they pose. So the blessings contained in the word of God does not make us immune from times and men, but rather security and protection to preserve us to emerge successful in spite of them. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. First, he is never shaken. His unwavering faith remains intact. One of the great promises of Scripture, uh, Psalm uh, 121, verse 3, He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will never slumber that we live in a very slippery world. Given the right convergence of time and people and events, all of us are prone to slip. God tells us, I'll keep your feet from slipping so that you will remain steadfast. Great blessing. His unwavering faith remains intact. Perhaps as you know, one of my greatest of all the doxologies of the scriptures. Jude 24, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling in a slippery world. God delivers that to his sons who learn his word in their homes and in their churches. Psalm 125 uh, in verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. 
of all the terrible events of the world in which we are living, ungodly men, turmoil in government everywhere seemingly, everything being shaken, institutions in parable and in doubt, heaven is unshaken, and we become like heaven. As we image the great God, we become immovable. Heaven can never be moved. The events of the world cannot touch heaven. And we become, to image that, speaking to our security in life because we belong to the one true God. And therefore, this man knows that everything in its own way, in its own time will work out. That God is able to reverse even the wicked and the evil. And furthermore, this man will be remembered. Others will know that he is unafraid of evil tidings because his profound, deep security is in the God who controls all tidings. And he's unafraid of those tidings that will eventually come. And he's unafraid because he relies on God. Behind all tidings, all news, God is in control. God is sovereign. And therefore, his heart is established in trusting God. Psalm 93, in verse 2. Thy throne is established from old, thou art from everlasting. If you know that God, you have, in a measure, a promise of security. If you pledged allegiance to that throne, you have united yourself to someone and something that will endure throughout all time, untouchable by the events of a world that seemingly has gone mad and crazy. And as God has not moved, so neither is the man of faith. It's a beautiful picture of this uh, in uh, Psalm 91. I believe it's my personal conviction that the psalmist is a soldier who's confronted the ancient battlefield and the dangers inherent to it. And he begins with a confession of trust. He says, God is my refuge and fortress, and his faithfulness is my shield and bulwark. And so he trusts God during the dangers of a night attack, the loss of men to his right and left, and that God dispatches angels to guard him. And then in verses 14 to 16, God has heard the confessions of this soldier of faith, and God answers him. First part of the psalm, the psalmist is speaking, giving a confession of trust in God. And then beginning in verse 14, God answers him. Because he has loved me, I will deliver him. I will rescue him, I will honor him with long life. Now, perhaps you're not a soldier being dispatched to war. But this promise indirectly applies to you in every, every way because of the faithfulness of God. And beyond the danger confronting the warrior, this is the unmovable trust of the man who receives a bad report. Maybe from a boss, maybe from 
the Wall Street Journal telling him something about the company that he works for that's a bad report. Maybe it's a bad report from a physician. I'm at that stage in my life when I go to the doctor, I always get bad news. Bill, why is your blood pressure up? Because I know you're going to tell me something that's bad. <laughs> Just the way that it is in my life. Perhaps it's not so with you. He finally says, I get it. Things begin to break. But the abounding faith, a man who has learned about the greatness of God knows, knows that God will care for him, preserve, keep, and win him for eternity. The opposite, of course, is worth reminding ourselves of. It's a man who perhaps goes to a church on a temporary basis and walks out the door and says, I don't get it. It doesn't apply to me. He's going to come to a bad end. It's a point of Psalm 1. Remind you of those words. Just after the verse about the great tree that bears its fruit in its season, that does not wither, the psalmist says, but the wicked are not so. Their fruit will dry up. Their leaf will wither. And they will fade away. Our man who has left the sanctuary is a true worshiper of God, takes a long-term view. Uh, his, his heart, verse 8, is upheld and he will not fear. Psalm 37, uh, verses, verse 17. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. Verse 24, but when he, when he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. So the outcome of this man is that uh, he will look upon his adversaries and behold their end, verse 8. The great psalm in the Word of God, Psalm 119. And verse 157. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from thy testimonies. We stay the course because we know the outcome of the man of faith. We've learned it in church. We've seen its effect in our lives, that God never forsakes his own. I would remind you that sometimes God appears to be very slow in life, but he is never late. He'll always show up on time. And the man who delights in the word knows this. Uh, the Word tells him over and over again that it is so. That he knows that his day will come. In fact, in the evil day, he continues to give and scatter and give to the poor. He freely gives Psalm 112, verse 9, to the poor. Who does that in bad times? 
Maybe the economy is beginning to collapse and we want to hunker down and uh, examine all of our expenses. Uh, consider the needy. No, I, I, I don't, I can't do that. I gotta take care of myself. This man knows because of the sovereignty of God that he can continue to give. God will take care of him. And so he remains generous. He perseveres in doing good. When ill winds come, most people hunker down, withdraw, they collapse within. But the man of faith knows that God turns the times and the epic so that he can continue to be generous just as God has always been generous to him. Let's remind ourselves by turning to uh, the book of Daniel. By the way, Daniel is a man who in many respects is living out Psalm 111 and 12. He's been kicked out of the sanctuary by the wickedness of his people. He's been carried off to Babylon. Set in the court of the king. He's going to make him over into a worshiper of Marduk, the gods of Babylon, and to worship the emperor above the one true emperor. But Daniel remains faithful. He knows the word of God. He understands and God blesses him. Notice what Daniel says about God in chapter 2, in verse 21. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God is in control of every throne. All the times and the epics... Above them all is the great God of heaven to whom we are beckoned to pledge our allegiance and to follow his word. Proverbs uh, chapter 11, verse 24. Reminder, of which we continually need reminder. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. Why? Because God is in control of the man who scatters and the man who withholds. So that when we give, God returns it. Therefore, there's never a need to let up. And maybe it goes beyond finances. Maybe it breaks upon generosity and kindness. Uh, reminded of the great words of our Savior in Luke 6.38. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. As God has given to you, give to others. Reminded of the great promise of many companies. Your 401k, I'll, I'll match what you give. Let me tell you something. You give to God, he will return much more in a profound way. He will more than match your giving. And let's take it way beyond money to time, to gifts of mercy, to remembering someone who's in need of prayer. Give, and it'll be given to you without measure from our great God. And in the final judgment, the God-fearer will be taken and blessed. Verse 10, Psalm 112. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. Desire the wicked will perish. I 
very fond of that text, Psalm 23, 5. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and my cup never runs out. I think in some measure of form, measure of form, pardon me, at the end of the age, the great banquet hall of heaven, which we're seated at, all of the wicked will see it and know, and know of the path of the blessed man of the word, that God was true to his promise, and Satan treated them false as he always does. The eternal Bernie Madoff, Satan promises long, cannot deliver anything. Our God promises, never fails, never fails. And in the end, we will certainly be rewarded with wealth beyond measure. Envy and jealousy will envelop the sons of Satan and they will forever lose heart. There is no recovery for them. Reminded of the great words of Dante's Inferno, all ye who enter here abandon hope. The man of faith knows that God is faithful. We never abandon hope because our God is good to us. And His mercies, His compassions, and His grace endure forever. That's a man who's decisively rich. Even in his present life. Way beyond material blessings. He's prosperous. He's blessed with a legacy, a family, a reputation, a vibrant spiritual life, contentment, perseverance, security, and in the end, entire, complete, total vindication. And so, you learn the Word of God in the assembly. Go out into the world and you live it. And the good blessings of God, without measure, pressed down, shaken together, will come and visit you in profound, profound ways because of the blessings of sonship and the eternal word who is Jesus Christ.